This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of The Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favale and Andy Bailey. Today, we are going to be bringing the thunder and talking about Oklahoma City. I'm sure you guys liked that little pun there. Uh, <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, this was a team that suffered through a ridiculous amount of injuries last year, highlighted by all the Kevin Durant foot stuff. They should be healthy going into this season, which means they've got that core of Russell Westbrook, Durant, and Serge Ibaka back in business, ready to try to send back to the top of the Western Conference. So I'm curious if you guys have any lingering concerns about the health, especially of Durant. I do, um, for sure. I that, that particular injury that he has in his foot, we've seen problems with it. Guys like uh, the one that always... Skydiving, this is amazing! Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions comes to my mind is is Yao Ming obviously he had a lot more weight to carry on his foot than Kevin Durant does and Kevin Durant looks really good in the preseason he's done some really explosive stuff but when I see somebody kind of have lingering issues for a year or two multiple surgeries I can't help but be skeptical it just I'm always just kind of waiting for the next bad thing to happen it's it's Brandon Roy Anthony Hardaway like we've just seen this story play out too many times and I always want it to be not the case. I want the guy to be able to overcome the injury issues, but I'm I'm going to be skeptical skeptical about Durant for a while. And I think it's fair to be skeptical. I know a lot of people get bent out of shape and they're like, "Well, Kevin Durant is still the second best player in the NBA." 
he's number not. one, he's not. No, he's not. But number two, foot injuries are really tricky when it comes mm-hmm. to big men. And I know he's not carrying around as much weight as someone like Yao Ming or someone like Brooke Lopez, who seems to be healthy every other year these days. But he's listed at 6'9". He's probably closer to 7 foot, really. And guys just, if you think about it, they're not meant to be that big. Humans are not meant to be that tall. And he had three surgeries, I think, in seven months or something ridiculous like that. That's really scary. The one thing that makes me more optimistic about this situation is just the nature of the Jones fracture injury. And it's it's notoriously difficult to recover from during the season because you have to be able to keep up your stamina. You have to stay in basketball shape, but you're not supposed to put any weight on it. And from what I've read, it is supposed to heal perfectly with no real risk of setbacks except for a small percentage of the of the population that do have this injury if you take enough time away. So I don't know how him trying to get back and, and re-injuring it and having to have another surgery is going to affect that prognosis. But there there is some hope that it's not going to be a recurring problem just because of what the actual injury is. That's fair. Uh, and I, even the stuff I've read, they said there's like a, a low risk of re-aggravating it as well. I do always wonder, I won't pretend to know what's going on in his mind, but will he subconsciously favor it at all where he's taking off differently when he goes for dunks or he's attacking from different sides or just putting a different amount of weight on it? And that's going to put more stress on other parts of your body, which could increase injury risk there. That's very real among players. Again, I don't know what it would be with him, but we don't really need to spend too much time on his injury in the sense that if he's healthy, the Thunder are going to be championship contenders, and they'll be one of the top three, top four teams in the West. Yeah, for sure. They have, I think on pure talent, they have easily two of the top ten, maybe two of the top five most talented players in the NBA, and Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Durant is a no-question guy. Um, and, And, you know, they've played together for years. There's a lot of talk. In, from certain media people, I've been guilty of it myself a few times of Westbrook maybe not passing to Durant enough and there being maybe some chemistry issues there, but I think they play pretty well together. Um, they know how each how, how each other plays. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you. Just those two guys alone make them a contender. I'm not sold on some of the role players they added. In fact, I think some of the guys that they've added in the last calendar year make them worse uh but those two alone and then you know Serge Ibaka is obviously really good too so you have a legit big three I think they're a championship contender if healthy I would agree there could you possibly be talking about Ennis Cantor (laughs) (laughs) that's definitely one of them and probably the main one yeah I mean his, his lack of defense is pretty concerning but I'm not as worried about it just because of the rotation they have set up there you have three guys capable of playing center, four if you include Serge Ibaka in small ball lineups, and they all bring different skills to the table. Cantor, for all of his defensive faults, is a good offensive player. Then you have Steven Adams, who is a good defensive player, and you have Mitch McGarry, who brings a, a more skilled type of play. And Dan is waving his hands furiously, so we're going to let him cut me off here. Are, we, if, are you talking about and is Cantor being a good offensive player in the sense that he's an offensive specialist? I'm not ready to call Ennis Cantor a good off Ennis Cantor, sorry, Bailey. Yes, being a good offensive player because he can't he won't pass. He passed a little That's bit more in Oklahoma. He's City. still a limited offensive player, but it's not like he's a bad one. He can't score outside three feet of the basket. That's a pretty bad offensive player. 
I don't know. He, he's he's got a decent mid range jumper. I don't know if it betrayed him last season or not. I'm looking that up. Yeah, I feel like you're yeah. a little off there because especially once he went to uh, the Thunder, he started working a little bit more pick and pop there. So here, I'll say he's not a threat outside. If if I'm not going to talk in a hyperbole, he's not a threat outside ten feet. And I think most of his shots, like I, I, I still of think them, you're wrong. Yeah. And I, I feel like Andy has the stats here. Yeah, he actually is a good shooter. And so from ten to sixteen feet. With the Thunder, he was 49%. From 16 feet to the three-point line, he was uh, 40%. Which is, I mean, that's good mid-range shooting, especially for a seven-footer. Right, but you have 75% of his offense last season with the Thunder came inside 10 feet. He's not someone you can rely on to be that versatile sure, offensive the point, weapon. The point is still that their, their centers do complement each other. You have the pick-and-pop guy, or like you're saying, he can also work in the paint. And then you have the defensive specialist in Steven Adams, and you have Mitch McGarry, who can handle the ball and bring a new element to the offense by serving as another hub there. So I like that combination, even if each individual player is flawed. Here's what I'll say. Go ahead, Dan. I can't call. I'm just not going to call Ennis Cantor a solid pick-and-pop option. He doesn't even roll the basket really well. He was. I I have to look at the numbers, but I think he was actually pretty bad as a pick-and-roll finisher last year. I'm not calling him a pick-and-pop option. I get I'm looking at the mid-range numbers now, too, and, yeah, they were – pretty solid and they have been pretty solid at certain points but I can't call him a pick and pop option especially when you just look at how much of his offense just comes inside 10 feet of the basket I think he's too limited to be that guy that we're just going to call hey he's a good offensive player I think he's good in certain situations I can't look at him as more than a post specialist just to me I would I would say he's a great post scorer so that would that would back up what you said about him being a post specialist I think he's a good option as a pick-and-pop guy because I, I, I think his mid-range shot is actually really quite good for his size. The main problem I have with him offensively is what you brought up earlier. It's just his passing. He, he was more willing in Oklahoma City than he was in Utah, and it's, we found out later it's just because he hated being on that team. Um, but he has a long way to go as a passer, both in terms of willingness and, and ability to make passes out of double teams or out of a pick and roll. He just doesn't have really any passing ability right now. In 26 games with a Thunder last year, Cantor scored 1.1 points per possession as a roll man, and that was 75.6 percentile in the league. While he was with Utah, he scored 0.83, and that was 19.9%. So the jury and, might still be out there. Well, you have to factor in the fact that he was spending a lot of his time with Trey Burke yeah. in Utah. He had a much better pick-and-roll point guard than Russell Westbrook um, in OKC. So, it, I mean, the pick-and-roll is a two-man thing. So I, I think he's very, very solid offensively. The one area, and I think it's a big area, is passing, especially in today's NBA. A big man has to be able to pass. He has to want to pass, and I'm not sure Cantor is, can do either of those things. If we're going to find common ground, then it's that the Thunder should not have given him $70 million. <laughs> oh, sure. Agree sure. That. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel better about that. And we haven't even touched yeah. on his defense. Like when, when the what Thunder first that? acquired him. Well, that's because there isn't any. Yeah. Well, <laughs> to say I, that implies that his defense exists, which is <laughs> not. Well, what I was going to say is when they first picked him up, I thought, well, maybe this is the one situation where he'll be okay because he can play with. Serge Ibaka, who can cover the rim for him. But I just had it pulled up. Let's see. 
the thing is, is he really can't be on the floor without Abaka or Stevens, which means that Cantor's going to have to play power forward at points, which I don't think he's suited for. Even with power forward at points, which I don't think he's suited for. Yeah, he's he's a. I think he clogs everything up. But even when he did play with Ibaka last season, um, they only played two hundred thirty-eight minutes together. But their defensive rating was one hundred nine point two, which would have been, <laughs> if not the worst, close to the worst in the league. So even when he had OKC's best rim protector, best interior defender with him on the floor, they were terrible. I do want to change gears a little bit here, just because I think we've kind of run in yeah, circles Cantor, a little bit yeah. with Cantor. But the other big change here is that Scott Brooks is no longer there. And in his place is Billy Donovan. I think that's a huge upgrade. I was really critical of Brooks throughout the last couple of years just because he didn't show any sort of flexibility with his rotations. And his offensive stats were as stagnant and uncreative as you could find in the NBA. And I, I don't know how the transition is going to go for Donovan, but... The, the willingness to actually experiment with that offense and not be like, hey, Russell Westbrook, hey, Kevin Durant, go run in isolation, has to be a positive. I wholeheartedly agree. And I, I, um, a couple of analytics guys that I listen to other podcasts for, one in particular used to kind of rant about how Scott Brooks, it was unfair to give him a bad or a hard time because the Thunder traditionally had really good offensive ratings when Durant and Westbrook were healthy. Um, and I felt like that you was kind of... coach the team and they would have good offensive ratings <laughs> if Durant and Westbrook were healthy. Exactly. Like, you have two of these really talented offensive players. Of course you're going to be good if you let them go ISO, 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 ISO. But think about how much better they could be if they ran a real offense. Like, they could be a historically great combo offensively. And... I don't, I don't think we've seen even close to what their ceiling is just because of what Adam said. They, they've played under a coach who wasn't really willing to be creative and, and figure out ways to get these guys better looks without them having to just isolate every time. I actually think he lost the 2012 finals for them because he was so unwilling to adjust and to take Kendrick Perkins out Kendrick of that Perkins? lineup. Yeah, my yeah. goodness. There, was, there were no adjustments made. He was just severely outcoached, and I'm not entirely convinced that he said anything more than, hey, go play basketball in the yeah. huddles. Yeah, it certainly didn't appear that way based on what they were doing on the, on the floor, it was, or it did appear that way. Uh, my one concern there, though, would be if Russell Westbrook can sort of adapt to playing in a more systematic approach. He really is that guy that you want the ball in his hands, and to go ISO, 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 for lack of a better word. And Donovan likes to run a lot of stuff with guys off the ball. I just don't see Westbrook as that ideal off-ball guard. They've always I, found a way to make it work in Oklahoma City because Durant does dominate the ball a lot. It's a very small concern. And Donovan does a lot of stuff with screens, and he loves a lot. He runs a lot of double pick, high pick and rolls that should really work out well for Westbrook when he's on the ball. I just, if you're looking at this offense from where, if, if they're ever going to just capitalize off this drive and kick model that Donovan also uses frequently. Westbrook's just not going to be great as that shooter unless he improves. It's a marginal concern, but that would be my one concern if we're trying to, I don't want to make this seem like it's just perfect. I think it's really worth noting how much he has already adapted during his NBA career. If you look back to when he was at UCLA, he was the off-ball two guard uh, playing alongside Darren Collison, and it took a couple years 
for him to really adjust to playing as a point guard in the NBA. And that's why we saw such consistent improvement during the early portion of his career. So I actually have less concerns about his willingness and ability to make those changes because we've seen him make similar ones before. And in some ways, it's kind of reverting back to his roots, even if his skill set isn't perfectly tailored for more of an off-ball role. I also don't, I don't think it's that, I don't think they're going to ask him to come off the ball that much. He's still going to play, he's still going to run a ton of pick and rolls. I think it's just what's happening around those pick and rolls or what's leading up to those pick and rolls that's going to be more creative with Donovan. Instead of, instead of doing like a one four set where Russell Westbrook has the ball up top and four other guys are just standing around and watching. Now you could have a pick and roll with maybe Kevin Durant doing some weak side action, um, or you know somebody else coming along the baseline. There's there's just so many different things that they can that they can do with that roster that they just haven't done in the past. Well, in the end, I think you look at it. Donovan's coming with a bigger bag of tricks than Scott Brooks ever had, and and no matter what, that should be a good thing. Agreed. Uh, that was just my only. Small concern, like I said before, but you look at this team who is currently talking about an extension with Dion Waiters, which makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. Oof. They're sort of in this double transition year where you have Donovan coming in, but you also know that Kevin Durant is going to explore free agency next season. We've somehow managed to get through uh, most of this podcast without talking about that. What are you expecting from this team if, if everything breaks right in terms of where are they going to stand in the Western Conference, which is still incredibly deep? It's not the same Western Conference where they were pegged as that next Spurs team that was just going to dominate. There are a bunch of new contenders there. How many wins do you see them getting? Where do you think they're going to end up? We'll assume everyone stays healthy, of course. That's such a tough question just because we haven't seen what they're going to do under Donovan. We don't know the health, but... If everything does break right, as you said, there's no reason this team can't supplant Golden State as the number one seed in the conference. I mean, they have that much talent. We have two top ten players. We have Serge Ibaka, who is tremendously underrated now that he has a pretty consistent three-point stroke. And some of their role players are better than what they had in years past when they were already competing for that one seed, even if they are flawed. More realistically, I probably see them around... 50 to 55 wins as key players take some nights off and they make some adjustments and attempt to develop chemistry. So I would probably peg them as, as maybe the number four seed, but with the potential to be playing like the number one seed at the end of the year. I think I would agree with all that. The number, the first number that popped into my mind was 55 when Dan was first phrasing the question. I think if Kevin Durant's healthy, obviously they have one of the best two man combos in the league. Um, I think that Dion Waiters and Ennis Kenner are both net negatives, though, and they could play a lot, a lot of minutes. And I think it will be in a little bit of an adjustment period with with Billy Donovan to figure out systems on both ends of the floor. But just talent alone is going to get them to over fifty if everybody's healthy. I kind of like to use the '96 Bulls, the ones that won seventy-two games, as as a measuring stick. And I know this is going to sound hyperbolic because I would never predict that a team is actually going to get to seventy wins, but just using them as a barometer to see if the, I feel like this team is actually capable of getting there. And if they did, how surprised would I be? And if they did, if everything coalesced so perfectly from the beginning, I don't think I would be shocked if this team was making a run at it by the end of the regular season. A run at 70? Yeah. I mean, they have that much talent. They're not going to. I mean, again, I'm going to stick with that around 55 prediction. But would you be, would you be more shocked 
by them than any other team in the league making that run? Um, yes. I think there are a couple teams that are better in my mind. If, oh, if yeah. everybody's healthy. That 55 benchmark seems really good for them. You get what if I'm saying, talking, though, right? Like, I do, this doesn't yeah, sound crazy. I see the point. Well, I think you can argue, okay, so when, if Ibaka, Durant, and Westbrook stay healthy, when those three were on the floor just last season, and again, that, it was inconsistently, and the sample size isn't huge, but they outscored opponents by 11.4 points per 100 possessions, which is what the Golden State Warriors did. That was their net rating, and they won 67 games. So, no, it's not crazy to think if the Thunder are just going to dominate on the backs of those three, could they flirt with 65, 70? It would definitely be less shocking for them than most of the other teams in the league. You could certainly say that. It just seems like that 55, 56 area seems good for them. It is sort of crazy where I don't see them being the second-best team in the Western Conference. And for so long, it seemed like number one and two, like that was reserved for one of those spots was the Thunder. But you just look at teams like the Clippers and the Rockets and the Warriors and the Spurs, and if we're going to be honest here, I think the Thunder will end up third, but couldn't you see them falling to fifth? If Absolutely. It, just honestly in the West, that's pretty That's pretty crazy, especially because you don't know what they're going to do under Donovan. We'll take time to adjust. And are they going to be any extra cautious with Durant or Ibaka, who missed a chunk of time last year as well? Those would be two things to consider. It seems like that number three seed will be where they settle into by year's end. My biggest concern with this team is that they try and push themselves too hard during the regular season. You've got a first-year head coach, Donovan, who has flirted with the NBA before, and he is. He, it, would, it would be understandable if he wanted to prove himself by winning as many regular season games as possible. And I think that's a mistake, because even if you are the number one seed in the West, you're going to have to play three difficult rounds in the playoffs. Whoever's the number eight seed is going to be a test in the first round. So it makes far more sense for me if they don't try and keep the pedal all the way down the entire season and, and wind up with the fifth seed or the third seed or whatever it may be. And my biggest concern is that that mentality doesn't stick in OKC because they have that first-year guy at the helm. That's absolutely fair. And there's also that pressure of let's win as much as possible now because we need to look at Kevin Durant next summer and say, this is what we can do now because the Thunder aren't going to look different. By signing Cantor, by, it looks like possibly extending waiters. They're pretty much saying, hey, this is the team we're going to move forward with. And you want that team to be great because you want Kevin Durant to come back. That's a, that's a very real risk. And I think Donovan's a lot different than most rookie head coaches, but it, it will be interesting to see if he can toe that line between being ultra competitive and ultra smart, for lack of a better word. But Bailey is shaking his head, which means that it must be time for Today, it looks like Bales himself has some pretty burnt bacon, so he's going to turn the oven up really high and just let it roll. Yep, it is burning, um, and it's baseball again, which is what Adam talked about last time. And it's celebrations again. This time it's team-wide. I, my, my bacon may not be burnt. This is almost just kind of funny to me that this happens in baseball. But have you guys noticed that after every round of the playoffs, teams celebrate like they won the World Series? They didn't win? <laughs> Which team was it that had the beer slip and slide in the dugout? Was that the Mets? Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, they, they 
they put the plastic all over the lockers. They break out the champagne. They have goggles. They're doing beer slip and slides or champagne slip and slides or whatever they're doing in the locker room. You just got out of the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> you could be going home in like a week. It's, it, I don't do you understand know even, it. Do you even know what's crazier is how choreographed it is now? Like you go in there, you grab a bottle, you put on the goggles, and you wait. Like, it's so like it's dumb. Like for it to happen. It just doesn't happen organically, which makes it even worse. But I feel you. To be yeah. fair, it's the Mets. It's been a while since they had a chance to celebrate. <laughs> Did the Cubs even celebrate like that crazy, though? I don't think so. I think there everyone has, honestly. Maybe not, not with a beer slip and Mets, slide in the locker room. <laughs> no, but everybody's had like the champagne waiting for him in the yeah. locker room. Well, congratulations, you won a first can you round imagine, series. Can you imagine that? Like, let's say, let's say the Warriors had done that after they swept the Pelicans last year. Just like so brought weird. out the champagne <laughs> on the court and everyone's like running around and hugging each other. This confetti raining down from yeah, the Oracle Arena make... rafters. Like, come on. Aren't you concerned about injury in those situations yeah. too? Like, you're doing an alcoholic beverage slip and slide. Like, aren't yeah. you concerned that, you know, we saw what happened to Tejada just in that series on when someone slides and then you're just you're just gonna go slip and slope something is bound to go wrong if they keep doing this i concur (laughs) yeah so i don't i don't really get it it's it's just weird to me um if you love baseball celebrations and you want to throw that in my face you can do that on twitter i'm at andrew d bailey you can also reach adam at frommel 09 f-r-o-m-a-l-09 Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. All three of us are at Hardwood Knox. And, of course, the podcast is on iTunes where we would really appreciate a rating and a subscription from you. And it's also on uh, Stitcher where you can favorite us. And, as always, we close this podcast with the obligatory shout-out to Bino Udri. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price dollars 0% APR. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions.